0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel, joining me as always. Is my producer, Kevin Black, in the background here. Today, we have a solo pod to touch on some of the international prospects that I feel should be valued in the upcoming draft, who I actually gave second round grades to. Now, plenty of evaluators have at least two of these three guys in first round mocks. And while that could potentially happen on a mock I put out in the future, That doesn't necessarily mean I agree on giving them that level of a grade and putting them that high on my personal board. So we're going to get into that as well as five other guys I've given second round grades to sort of by default. I can only have 30 guys ranked, one through 30 obviously in a first round. So these other five along with two of the three international prospects we'll go over were close to being among that top 30 group but ultimately didn't make the cut. So I'd like to call this list my can't miss second rounders. Before we get into that, I'll say congrats to the Los Angeles Lakers on winning what I feel is one of the toughest NBA championships we've ever witnessed due to the physical, mental, and emotional sacrifices everyone in the bubble had to endure and overcome. LeBron won another Finals MVP as expected, and I couldn't be more proud of the mission he and the rest of the team set out to accomplish. I'll save more of my wrap-up thoughts on the finals for the pod we'll be recording for next week as I have something special planned with a few good friends of mine coming on as guests. So, with all that being said, let's dive right into the evals, starting with the man of mystery in the 2020 NBA draft, Alexej Pokusevsky. So, Pokusevsky is an 18-year-old, soon-will-be-19-year-old forward prospect out of Greece who most recently played for Olympiakos B and still... Had a decent 11-game stretch for the club, 10.8 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, 3.1 assists, along with 3.1 combined steals and blocks. In roughly 22 minutes per game, those aren't counting averages to be overlooked, and the tape certainly offers plenty of interesting glimpses into how a 7-foot playmaking forward found himself actually putting up those stats. So, mobile prospect who appears to have an advanced feel for the game, making plays for others, and having even at times flair in the passing game. As much as he can hit someone with a perfectly placed and well time corner pass, he can also hit a baseline cutter with a well-placed around the back look for some sizzle. While I don't get the feeling that he does any of this to show off or show up the opponent, it speaks to his personality, I feel, in a good way, because it shows he does love to make plays for others and help his team succeed. It's also a way for him to remain involved in the offense at times when he can't necessarily contribute, as he's not much of an individual shot creator or maker. Yes, he can drive and score at the basket when he has a lane. He's actually proven he can knock down, open catch, and shoot threes, but his efficiency in either area leaves something to be desired, shooting 40% from the field and 32% from three in those 11 contests. Some of those poor percentages come from shot selection, although I don't feel like he forces a ton within the offense. He generally picks and chooses his spots correctly, but on his outside shot, I don't particularly love his mechanics. I've heard from plenty of evaluators in the past that any big who can shoot and has proven they can knock it down don't mess too much with their mechanics. They're taller. They don't have to arc the ball as much as a smaller guard, so mechanically they can get away with not getting air on a jumper or, again, much arc. Mechanically, they can, they can afford to be a little bit looser, right? But it's still a concern to me that, that my worries with his standstill jumper are the same as why he's not always the cleanest scorer inside the arc either. Physically, he has a long way to go, and quite frankly, I'm not sure his slender frame is going to allow for him to pack on a ton of muscle without it affecting him negatively in terms of the amount of weight he can handle carrying at seven foot. Upper body strength, you can tell is lacking because he pushes the shots at the basket. I mean, rarely does the ball arc in the slightest. He's not shooting upwards. He's pushing it, hoping that it will go in. When you're seven feet tall, of course, you can go away with doing that sometimes, and the ball will swish through. But relying on a shot that's mechanically based on guessing, if you have the right angle or not to to push it through, that's not going to lead to consistent results. When he does get someone off the dribble and goes into traffic to score, he's not someone who's going to barrel anyone over. So if he runs into a wall, he better draw the foul or else he has to pass out, or he's even been prone to turning the ball over. Listed at 200 pounds, he's not physically ready for the rigors of the NBA in a rookie season. We just witnessed a final series where Tyler Hero had one of the best rookie playoff stretches we've ever seen for the Miami Heat, but came up short against a more physically dominant, mature unit in the Lakers. Now, Hero is a guard who's much more reliable at creating separation and doing damage from the perimeter. Off of a standstill look, sure, Poku might be able to knock down a jumper, but when he actually has to get a shot off that's contested or requires physically outmaneuvering someone to a spot, he's likely not going to fair ball offensively. And defensively, he doesn't have the foot speed to stay on smaller wings, who will be able to easily get around him. So not being able to body up bigger forwards or centers is also an issue. He could be a foul magnet waiting to happen in the league, which is a shame because he actually has good instincts off the ball defending in space, rotating from the weak side to block a shot or snag a steal. But teams will hunt him down and make him uncomfortable in the grand scheme of things. Maybe I have too much recency bias. Maybe I shouldn't put so much stock into the playoffs because there are 82 regular season games to be played outside of that where he can earn minutes and be effective. But if the playoffs are the ultimate goal at the end of the day, I just don't see how he can come in and be a high-level contributor within his first few years in the league given that I'm not buying the jumper or how he'll physically mature in the short term and even in the long term. There's obviously an intriguing upside, given that seven-footers who can move in space, serve a purpose in transition, make plays for others, and stretch the floor, don't grow on trees. And once upon a time, there was a young player coming out of Greece by the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who suffered from lack of exposure, both playing in the United States as well as playing in a subdivision of a pro league, leaving scouts to question how much stock they should put into his performances given the competition level. But though Giannis was, was built slight, his body's different than Poku's. Uh, Pokusevsky doesn't have the same broad shoulder base or wider hips to actually add weight on safely and not let it affect his movement as well as his ability to physically withstand the rigors of the NBA long term. The body you have matters, and sometimes you have to play to its strengths. If Poker wants to succeed in the NBA, he will have to commit to being more of a perimeter-oriented playmaking forward who can stretch the floor reliably. When he has the chance, he'll have to play his ass off and fight as hard as he can on the glass and in the paint because he can't get away from rebounding the ball, fighting for position, and even acting as a rim protector at times because he's seven feet tall. He's not a winger or a guard. He's a forward. And if he comes in every day with the attitude that I'm going to work as hard as I can and fight for what's mine, I won't be the one to tell him he can't succeed. I think he's going to be drafted in the first round. At least he's my first choice as a prime draft and stash candidate, given the other options on the board. But I don't have that grade on him because I'm betting that he doesn't reach close to what his upside could suggest. And I'm saying on this podcast, I hope he proves me wrong. Because it really would be another huge coup for the NBA and fans everywhere to have another versatile big in the league who can do what he's flashy, he's capable of. So next up is Leandro Bomaro, a prospect that was very close to ranking in the first round but couldn't ultimately justify the upside. And if I were to give Bomaro a first round grade, I would have had to have given Poku one because despite all the concerns I just outlined, I still think he's the better gamble and upside play long term. But Bomaro has a case to be made as a playmaking wing listed at 6'7", coming out of Barcelona. Like Poku, I've seen some jaw-dropping passes from Bomaro. His feel for the game, in my opinion, is better than Poku in terms of getting others involved. He's not the most explosive athlete or quickest off the bounce, but he's mobile enough in transition and keeps his head up so that he can properly take advantage of his ball placement and IQ and make some exciting plays on the run. Pomaro is built to play in fast-paced offenses that can push and play up and down. Some evaluators and scouts might sit there and say that's perfect for where the league is gone. Others might show more recency bias and and think about the pace in the finals we're just played at and and think about what Bomaro can provide in the half court, which I still think from a playmaking perspective is actually still quite a bit. He's shown he can make reads out of pick and roll sets, keeps his head up and can play out of dribble handoff actions. He's adept at finding guys off short rolls and baseline cuts. The, The takeaway is that he generally keeps the ball moving. He's not one to sit there and over-dribble and get himself in trouble. And that's a benefit coming out of European systems that call for more ball and player movement versus just running in transition all the time and playing high pick and roll to the opposing defense raises the white flag. There's very little I don't like about Bomaro's IQ and approach to the game, but there are concerns to raise, which cloud my judgment on just how many minutes he can actually earn once he comes over to the NBA. I already mentioned that he's mobile enough for a wing, but he's not quick. If you're asking him to score in half-court sets and constantly get around guys, he's not a good isolation creator for himself. He doesn't have any fancy dribble moves or footwork to get himself good offense when the defense is set up, and he has one or multiple men to beat. Now, he's armed with his passing ability and is very aware of his limitations. He's not dead in the water in NBA offense, but lacking that creation ability as well as a reliable jump shot is an issue, given that at some point the ball will find its way to him later in a shot clock And if he's not able to convert in those situations, how valuable of a wing is he really in today's game? Guys have to be able to score on the move and shoot from the outside to earn starting opportunities or be firmly in a rotation on a good team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts like there used to be. NBA teams nowadays are too deep and too dang good to let anyone beat them on the floor. If he can find ways to operate off the ball, find easy cuts to the basket, keep himself moving and active so the defenses react to him in a way that frees up someone else to get moving so he can hit them with a timely pass, that's the best way to utilize him in an offense. Find ways to get the ball in his hands as much as possible without having to rely on him dribbling and getting around guys constantly to create offense. Can he play in pick and roll? Yes. Is it something I want him doing over and over again at offense? No. Defenses will key in on his weaknesses and eat him alive. Now, defensively, he at least has enough to him to stay on the floor and remain competitive against different matchups. Should he be switching on to a shifty guard at the point of attack? Probably not. But he can step up and guard threes and fours and at least put a body on them to limit their effectiveness. He's not the most well built wing, but he at least has size and some length in his favor. And again, he's a smart player who looks for ways to affect the game to his strengths. He's not incapable of making a play in space on defense. But he's not a ball stopper. He's another example of a wing teams can hunt for in pick and roll situations. So if that's the case, you have to be trending toward uh, high-level offensive effectiveness. And despite what Bomaro can offer from making everyone better around him in terms of his passing, I'm not buying his all-around skill set offensively. So another guy I think will ultimately go in the first round as a stash guy. But I give him a second-round grade. So last on the international radar today is Yam Mater, Israeli point guard measuring it at 6'3", listed at 180 pounds. Uh, some scouts who have been evaluating Mater have questioned why Teo Maladon, who I have graded in the first round, I've already talked about him on this podcast, is much further ahead of Mater. Well, Maladon's a bigger guard who is more of a matchup problem for, for other points than Mater, although Mater himself has good size and length in his own right, and in my personal opinion, I think he's built a little better physically in terms of how he could further develop his body down the road. So physically, I don't think they're that far apart. What really separates Malinon for me is his shooting potential, particularly off the catch. Mater hasn't proven he can shoot reliably from deep, and his 73% average stroke from the charity stripe also leaves a lot to be desired. I don't hate a lot about his shot mechanically, but there's just something there that he can't hit perimeter shots. I would love to be a fly on the wall when he's working with a shooting coach because I'm not sure how many things, at least regarding his release, there are to tweak. And it's not like he doesn't have any sort of touch because he has arguably one of the better finishing packages amongst all these international guards coming into the draft. He has as many floaters, runners, and layups in his bag as someone like Maladon or even Killian Hayes. His mid-range craft as a scorer is undervalued, and I think it's probably the biggest talking point to his game. He's not an incredible passer. Yes, he can make easy reads, but he'd prefer driving to the basket looking to create for himself and for others. When he gets a one-on-one matchup, though, inside the arc, he's absolutely a threat to score, and not everyone always is. It's the fact that there are spots on the floor you can trap him in, and he immediately becomes ineffective. He's not a master reader of the defense to get an assist off of camping outside the arc, like a LaMelo Ball, who also has the size to see over and make a play over the defense from basically any spot on the floor. Mater has more limitations to his offensive game, and he's not in a different class, class athletically, although end-to-end, end, I'd probably take him over Malinan. He just doesn't have enough qualities outside of some of the tough finishes he converts on that, that, that jump off the tape. I won't rule... I won't rule out him making an NBA rotation one day after spending you know, years overseas tweaking things in his game and just gaining more experience playing at a higher level, but not having more than one bankable skill offensively to get in minutes on an NBA floor hurts him and puts him behind guys like Maladon on draft boards. Now, one thing I'll say about uh, Mater defensively, he is an absolute pest. And I've certainly seen some more clips popping up on social media um, over the last few days of him being that kind of a pest on defense, guarding guys other other points one-on-one, um, certainly challenging them at the point of attack, even forcing some turnovers. I mean, the, the guy loves to play defense, and he's going to make people's lives a living hell when he gets the chance. So... When, when you think about that and you put that in perspective, that is something that can get him minutes on the floor to possibly develop some of those other offensive skills, uh, maybe maybe give him opportunities to get different sh- uh, set shots within an offense. But again, if, the, if those are the things we're really hanging our, our hats on in, in, in terms of what his ultimate upside is as a point guard, then I, I think my grade for him at this point is justified. So now we move into more domestic prospects, guys who I couldn't quite include in the top 30 but are talented in their own right and deserve to be targets on draft boards anywhere from late in the first round through the second round. I just want to take a, a, a quick minute here to, to point out that just because a guy doesn't make a top 30 on a draft board doesn't mean I would scoff at him being drafted in the first round. There are situations where doing that can be justified depending on need, fit, and situation. Just like with some of the Euro prospects I've discussed, they're likely going to be selected in the first round because they're stash candidates with upside. I'm not going to fault the team for making a smart decision for the organization because I didn't include that player in my top 30. And that goes for these guys as well. I mean, the gap between the 15th pick in this class all the way to a pick in the 40s might not be as wide as some people think. And there are a ton of guys I personally value highly in this class as role players, and they could be contributors on good teams. So again, just because there aren't surefire superstars potentially in this class, doesn't mean that a lot of these prospects don't deserve to be talked about in their own right. The game has changed in the NBA. The way it's played, the way it's officiated, has allowed for more young guys in the past uh, than in the past to earn minutes and play bigger roles to, to learn right out of the gate. Are there physical and mental limitations that put a tighter grip on effectiveness when it comes to playoff basketball, for example? Absolutely. But players who are confident and have bankable skills that can earn minutes will always be worthy of a draft pick. I I can never stress that enough. So with all that being said, let's get into these other five guys that I wanted to have highlighted. I don't have them ranked 31 to 35 in this order, nor would I necessarily rank them as such on a second round big board. But over the next few podcasts, I will have essentially outlined my 31 through 60 and, and kind of given the audience a top 60 overall. I'm just not taking the time right now to rank them. I'll likely put out a second round big board on social media. So stay tuned and make sure you're following if that's the information you're after for me. So diving into these guys again, Zeke Naji, center prospect listed at 6'11, 240 pounds. I'm ranking him as a center on my board because I think that's at least when would, I, I think that's what he is when he steps into the league. That's where his best fit is to start. And I can make the argument that's where he should be long term. But part of what intrigues me about Naji is that he may actually end up better off in a power forward type role a la Anthony Davis on both ends of the floor. Now, before we get too far into this eval, no, Najee isn't AD or AD light. I'm talking purely in terms of role and fit. Offensively, Najee's mid-range touch is second to none when comparing him to other bigs in this class. His mid-range shot's butter, and if he extends his shot out to the three-point line, which will likely be a focus by whichever team that drafts him, then he becomes a lethal weapon at 6'11". He's already proved in Arizona that he can attack closeouts and put pressure on the defense because he's nimble for his size and he moves well with or without the ball. No, he's not a ball handler and creator like Davis, but if you close out out on his jumper, he can absolutely take a few dribbles along the baseline, for example, and look to finish the play inside with confidence. He's one of the more graceful movers for his size in this class. In the post... He's flash potential turning over either shoulder and scoring with his back to the basket, and he has a knack for hunting for offensive rebound opportunities in the glass. If he can create contact, he he can convert one and ones, and he makes the most of the charity stripe as well. When he gets there, he shot 76% from the line in his freshman campaign. He's a lob threat off rolls and in transition, so offensively, there aren't a ton of holes to his game other than you likely don't want him handling the ball or making decisions out of the post on double teams. Obviously, those weaknesses Limit, his upside is more of a featured weapon, but trust me, there are plenty of ways he can put points on the board. Defensively, he could stand to become a better rebounder on that end, but I think the majority of his deficiency there is in his lower body. As he strengthens his base, he'll get pushed off spots less and less and be able to better box out when he is by the basket. Depending on how much he's utilized on the perimeter, he might not always have position to clean the glass, but again, that should obviously improve over time. What's unique about his defensive game is that because he's mobile with length, he's proven he's not only able to guard multiple positions and defend in space as well as on smaller guys, but that he's willing. I loved how he talked about his defensive approach on, on Mike Schmitz's recent video breakdown with him. If you haven't seen that, go check that out on, on ESPN's NBA YouTube channel. Um, Najee spoke about how he, he wants to guard as many positions as possible and just be valuable. Just how AD was deployed throughout the playoffs Najee could in time be used in similar ways. And if that's the case, he becomes someone I have pegged way too low and closer to the lottery grade that I wanted to give him when the college season first started. If he continues to work on his offensive skill set, become a more consistent shooter and ball handler, and bring everything he has defensively with energy and not taking plays off, he could be someone we're talking about in the league for years to come. And that's why at the very least, he needs to be a draft target despite ranking. That brings us to another potentially unique defensive weapon at a forward spot in Tyler Bay, 6'7", forward prospect out of Colorado, listed at 218 pounds. Not only does he have a good base to work with in terms of size and strength combination, but with what appears to be a near seven-foot wingspan, he's one of the more impressive defensive weapons in the class. Now, offensively, he has enough to prove. He's not a creator, he's not a shooter, at least not consistently enough yet despite what his uh, sophomore percentages might have led us to believe, he's a guy who will play with energy and hustle for garbage buckets and easy looks. He's not someone you can look at with confidence and say, if I play him 18 minutes a game, I'm going to get double-digit points out of him. He's not that kind of a scorer, but he doesn't have to be. If he can be special on defense, he has a home in the league and in a rotation absolutely worthy of a draft pick, and, and I think there's a chance he can be. We already went over his measurables, but let's start with his rebounding. Nine rebounds a game in his junior season and over 12 per 40 minutes. Those are damn impressive numbers for a forward who can play either the three or four. He would likely be the third biggest player on the floor for your NBA team, depending on the lineup, and he has that nose for the ball on the glass. There are a few skills that evaluators talk about all the time that generally translate because they're easier to directly control on an individual level. We've went over one of those skills a few times today, and that's free throw shooting. Free throws are mental, and then tweaks can be made to a shooting motion. Rebounding is not only physically dependent in terms of size, but it's also determined by motor and positioning. Bay clearly understands how he can impact the boards on both ends because he knows what his physical strengths are. He plays with a great motor, and he knows how to position himself to corral rebounds by the rim or even on long boards off outside shots. Bay doesn't give up on plays, and he hunts for the ball because he knows if he can secure a rebound, he can help his team win games. Not everyone's able to understand all three of those prerequisites for being a high-level rebounder. Not everyone does all three of those things. That's why there are only so many who grab 10-plus per 36 or or even more in the NBA. But if Bay ever evolves his offensive skill set and earns close to starters minutes in a rotation, he's going to put up some crazy stat lines as far as rebounding is concerned. Moving past the glass, his overall defensive versatility could be incredibly promising. Because he's long, because he's built, he can take on a variety of matchups and defend in space like few forwards can in this draft class. Knocking a pass out of the air to come up for a steal isn't a problem for him, and he's also long enough to rotate on the weak side and block a shot or two in the lane. While I don't know if he has the foot speed to be a major factor guarding points off switches, two through four isn't out of the question and could probably hold his own at five in in, in some small ball lineups. Teams are looking for unique defensive weapons that can switch and hold their own in a variety of lineups. and Bay can likely come in and make a similar impact from day one, making him a draft target even if his offensive outcome is closer to Andre Roberson than it is anyone else. Now this guy is someone who's gained a lot of transac- uh, tra- a lot of traction, excuse me, in his extended evaluation stretch here. And-, and he needs to be on the radar because of what he brings to the table from a toughness and professionalism standpoint at his size. And that's Xavier Tillman out of Michigan State. Now, one thing that NBA teams want that no one talks about all the time is an enforcer. Someone on the court that isn't going to take anyone's crap, they're going to play hard and set an example for everyone else. Generally, that guy's a journeyman who's been in the NBA for a while and can bring wisdom to the younger guys on the team. Even though Tillman was only a three-year player coming out of Sparty, that's the mentality that he has and he played with in college. He's served his time as a four or five man depending on the lineup, and he's excelled at either spot. Showing touch from the outside when he needs to, fighting on the boards, and out-muscling and out-jumping anyone who tries to get an advantage on him down low. Tillman's an underrated athlete at 6'8", 245. He's, he's not the tallest or the longest player in the draft, who, who's more comfortable playing as a big man, but he knows who he is. He knows what he's there for, and he comes from a no-nonsense college program, along with a guy like Cassius Winston, who they, they showed maturity and leadership during their time there at Michigan State. And in that regard, along with Winston, he's a fairly safe selection. He's not a zero on the court. He's going to come in and produce if he's given the minutes. Is he an upside play? Probably not. While his flash touch from the outside as mentioned, he's not a stretch big by any means. He makes his living on the glass, getting points off easy buckets, and being that guy you won't push around so easily. Those guys always end up being draft targets at one point or another. The question is, how high would you take him? A lot of mocks and intel point to him actually being a mid to late first round prospect. I have a second round great on him, but I understand if a team wants to reach a little for a pro. He holds himself in high regard and it's justified, plays with swagger, and will come in with his lunch pail every day to go to work. Now, Daniel Oturu out of Minnesota has a cult following of sorts and has drawn enough praise to even have him as a lottery pick in some mocks that I've seen. I don't think he's flash enough of a high-level skills package as consistently for for enough time as some of the other guys. But if you grade him off flashes, then you can see the upside that some think he has to potentially be a starting center in the league. Otoru's 6'10", 240 pounds. Obviously, Taylor made physically to jump center in the league. He's not a forward prospect. He's, He's pigeonholed into the center spot. That's who he is, and that's fine. He's a true big. And he certainly played like it last season in Minnesota, putting up a 20 and 11 stat line in 33 minutes per game. Even though his free throw numbers have been slow to improve and reflect uh, true shooting touch, the thing that excites scouts the most is that he was a close to 36% three-point shooter last season. Otura was used in a lot of pick and pop situations from, from mid-range and even from deep in college. And he has enough makes on film to make you think he's a legitimate stretch threat at the center spot. I don't love his lower body mechanics on his jumper, but this is another example of being a little lax on someone his size, making shots from the outside. If he can do it, he can do it. And he's proven he's a threat. Now, one of my concerns with him, and maybe he can be more of a physical finisher in the NBA and he'll look for different opportunities because he will have already made it into the league. He doesn't have to prove that he's an outside shooter at his size. Uh, he, he definitely looks to pop and settle for those jumpers far too often for my liking, given how efficient he actually is from those ranges. The numbers don't suggest he's going to be incredibly consistent from range at the next level. And, and I say all the time, numbers don't tell the whole story. But even taking a look at the film, watching full-length games on Oturu, there will be times he misses, 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 yet keeps jacking up jumpers when he's not a true shooter. There's a saying that shooters keep shooting despite how many misses you have in a row. You've got to keep yourself in rhythm, absolutely, absolutely have to stay aggressive and keep that mental confidence. But I don't understand why if you have the physical base and skill to get points in a different way, to just see the ball go through the basket a few times and then maybe hop back outside, why isn't that something he goes to a little more often? So I question shot selection and decision-making offensively. Defensively, I have similar questions regarding his IQ and what he sees because there are a lot of times guys back backdoor him or he's beat on a switch where he shouldn't be because physically he has all the tools to be a legitimate rim protector and shot blocker. So he's not a zero on that end of the floor by any means. I think there's a lot he can continue to learn from off of film study. And hopefully he gets better because if he can pick and choose different spots offensively, we have a real prospect here and someone I undervalued and misbet bet on and should absolutely be uh, more of a priority draft target, especially if he slips into uh, that first round later on. So last but not least, I wanted to focus on some of the bigs and forwards um, kind of to start, given how guard heavy this draft class is and how many guards, especially points I've already talked about in this class. Uh, over other pods, but we can't have this type of pod and not talk about Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. Tough as nails, confident point guard listed at 6'2", although probably closer to 6'1 than anything. Built well and compact for his size, isn't afraid to score in a variety of ways, and quite frankly, he can, and he proved that in college. Senior year, he averaged over 20 points per game on a 46.8, 41.5, 82.1% slash line. Efficient guard prospect, plays with his head up and ready when it comes to scoring the basketball. Although my questions on that end rely more around his decision making and sometimes overconfidence with the ball in his hands. I suppose if he's a top option as a senior on a team with expectations, I mean, he's going to let it fly, right? But some of those deep pull-ups he settled for off the dribble, I know he'd get some of them to go in. But (laughs) some of those shots he took would have an NBA coach going nuts at times on the sidelines. I think if he can come in and play with the maturity that he did show plenty of times he did in college and show just a tad bit better shot selection, he's going to do better in convincing a coach to give him more control over a second unit. And one thing he did make sure to do during his four years at Oregon was improve as a playmaker, especially out of pick-and-roll situations. He ended his senior year averaging 5.5 assists per game, and certainly again his improvement in in pick and roll actions helped contribute to that number greatly if he can continue to be effective both scoring out of those opportunities as well as hitting his man on the roll with a timely pocket pass then his case as a lead guard coming off the bench and even as a spot starter becomes a lot more believable he's a better athlete than a lot of people give him credit for especially uh, speed when he does get the step on his man in the half court he he Trust me, he's absolutely a lot faster than you might originally think on film. But his size holds him back, especially defensively. He gives it his all and is a real pesky guard defending other ball handlers and certainly gives the necessary effort. But his other smaller league guards, if if they get switched on the size, it's a problem. And there's only so much you can mask defensively. Those physical limitations may put a cap on how many minutes he ends up playing in a rotation. But make no mistake about it, Pritchard's an NBA player and he'll have a job for years to come. He's that good and can do enough things from a League guard spot to justify a home on a team. So that about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Again, thank you for everyone. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to my rants about draft prospects. For more content, stay subscribed wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Stay locked in on social media, at Draft Deeper on Twitter, like us on Facebook. There's more coming. And as I mentioned, I have an incredibly special show planned for next week. So until then, be safe and well, everyone.